The following audio is from All Saints Church. For more information about the church, please visit our website at allsaintsgb.org. Our New Testament reading this morning comes to us from Matthew chapter 3. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able to raise from these stones, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. God, we thank you for your word. Just a few quick disclaimers. I'm okay. I'm not great. Um, So I may hack here and there, but one of the things, I don't need to ring the unclean bell. I, I think I'm okay. One of the things I have absolutely appreciated this week of not feeling well is just the way in which our church family has stepped up and helped and supported me uh, in, in this week. It's, and, and right now, is, there's evidence that's right here. The champ, John Tolfa, has put, I see Tylenol, cough, Mucinex water, Advil, hand sanitizer, everything's down there. Thank you, champ. Thank you for that. But just know, I may hack here and there, and it's just part of the illness, but I checked with the doctor, and I'm clear to be with y'all, and we're all good. So, Well, Ryan Knighton, was a Canadian author who tells the story, which I'm sure I've shared with some of you, but it bears, pardon the pun, repeating. Ryan shares a story about an eventful morning in taking his two-year-old daughter with him to work. 
He lives in the north woods of Canada, and he works on a college campus, which was often confronted, this campus, with the problem of having large bears raiding the dumpsters. Ryan knew having his daughter, two-year-old daughter with him, he needed to play it safe, extra safe, by having his daughter with him. So as they arrived on campus, into the freeloader backpack, she would go on his back. And one very major detail you need to know about Ryan is that Ryan is blind. He knows his way around campus really well, by cane, by sound, by feel. But this morning presented a particularly new and terrifying challenge for him. As Ryan is walking from his car, his daughter begins to tap his head from the raised backpack perch and calls out in a concerned voice, Daddy, Daddy, bear, Daddy, bear. And Ryan freezes. Immediately, he sizes up the situation and decides to do a complete 180 and head the other direction, the opposite direction, probably at a more rapid pace. And as he does, his daughter is tapping more vigorously on his head. Daddy, bear, daddy, daddy, bear, daddy. Bears are indeed faster than humans, and somehow, in Ryan's mind, the bear has made his way around him and is now in front of him again, so he changes directions once again. And as he tries another direction, his daughter begins pounding on his noggin. Daddy! Daddy bear! Daddy bear! And as soon as Ryan begins his last-ditch directional effort away from perceived danger, he feels something soft and small under his feet. A bear. His daughter's teddy bear, which she had dropped as they began their journey away from the car. Ryan says of this and many other similar situations that he's been a part of, when you're blind, you just can't assume anything. And the problem is, you get a picture in your mind. And if you get, a wrong, get it wrong, that picture, you just live inside of the mistake. What Ryan needed was a metanoia. <laughs> what is that? What Ryan needed was a changing of his mind, a changing of his mind's eye to see the threat of bear was a dropped teddy bear and not a flesh-hungry grizzly bear. Metanoia is the Greek word for repent. When we hear the word repent, we might immediately go to the idea repenting means changing a sinful behavior and becoming a better person. I would suggest I don't believe this to be the heart of repentance. I believe this definition of repentance can actually do damage to our understanding of the gospel. Sure, sin, change, transformation, and turning about, they're involved in repentance, but they're involved as a fruit of repentance, not as the definition of repentance. What about our minds then about repentance needs changing? What is the bear in our brains that we need to look at with a completely different understanding. And it's the problem we have in all of our blindness and all of our brokenness, friends, with the word righteousness. If you've never uttered that word out loud, doesn't matter. 
it still affects how you live. That word influences your mind like Ryan and Bear did and can cause you to run in many directions. In your blind mind of living inside the mistake, what do you believe marks you as righteous? Someone who's acceptable, someone who's worthwhile, someone who's decent or upstanding. That's how you think about righteousness. What do you believe makes you righteous? Is it your righteous relatives? You came from a cream of the crop family? Is it your righteous relationships? People love you, love being around you. Is it your righteous resume, your respectable job, which also in the resume has a picture in the corner of your photogenic family? Is it your righteous reputation in the community, your righteous theology of knowing Jesus better than the rest of them, your righteous ridicule of those who are doing it wrong and not like you? What is your righteousness? The first word preached and proclaimed in the Gospel of Matthew, both by John the Baptist and Jesus the King himself, first word they spoke in the Gospel of Matthew is repent. And so we have to focus on that word and what it means. Repentance, I believe, is a radical change of mind about your righteousness and the Lord's righteousness. And if the Lord alone is righteous, we need to ask the Lord to radically change our minds and in his kindness lead us to repentance. Three parts of the passage help pave the way for the Lord to lead us in a change of mind, in a metanoia, in repentance. And the first mindset shift is this. I need to reject my righteousness. Reject it. The second mindset is this, I need to confess my wickedness. And the third mindset shift is, I need to run to Jesus in the river of his righteousness. Lord, would you get me out of the way as a preacher? I know it's not my clever ways or cute or convincing ways to speak or presenting things that leads anyone to repentance. It's your kindness Spirit, speak to the ears and the minds of those today who are listening. In Jesus' name, amen. So the first mindset shift I wanted to focus on is this. I reject my righteousness. You see this in verses 1 to 6. As we talked in previous weeks, Matthew's gospel is primarily written to a Jewish mind, a Jewish way of thinking. And the Hebrew word for repent, although rarely translated as repent in, in Jewish circles and Hebrew languages, return or come back. It's rooted in relationship. So where do we begin this passage? Where are we? In the wilderness. And Jew, Jewish mind knows wilderness. The wilderness was a place where God's people didn't fare well in relationship to God. They grumbled they growled, they grew other gods. 
So we're in the wilderness. And who do we begin with in the passage? A baptizer. And before you throw all your Southern Baptist stereotypes on John, when we hear John the Baptist, remember, this is a Jewish audience. Baptism wasn't a new thing to an Old Testament Jew. Baptism involved water. And water, friends, is all over the Old Testament. Water scared a Jew to death. No one could swim back then. Water was terrifying. And in Old Testament stories, where did water show up? It showed up to a rebellious people in Noah's day. You remember that? Water consumed them, drowned them. Water was a mark of judgment. Water kills. But what does water do when you soak a filthy pan in it overnight? It starts to clean, too. There's a story in Old Testament history about Naaman, a man who could think himself righteous by his own resume. Naaman was a military leader in the time of the kings who had great success in bringing victory for God's people. Only problem was he had an incurable skin disease called leprosy. And as he went to the prophet Elisha's home to find some remedy for his leprosy, the prophet doesn't even open the door to this important man. He tells him, go in the Jordan River. Jordan River, friends, this is a river that would contain a lot of sewage. And it's a river that contained agricultural runoff, if you know what I mean. Our comparable to the Jordan River would be the Fox River, but not the southern Fox River. It would be the Fox River from the mouth of the bay to De Pere with all of the industry that pours into that. That's, that's what the Jordan River was of their time. So Naaman goes into the Jordan River, dips in this dirty water, and comes out healed. This is where this chapter is set, with John the baptizer preaching a change of mind near a dirty body of water. What is John saying? He's saying, metanoia! Repent. The kingdom of God is almost here. And friends, this is not a message of comfort. It's a message of doom. <clears throat> like the prophet Elijah, who was known for calling down fire upon people and them burning up, John's words are like calling down fire from heaven. That's about to happen. Repent. It's about to get hot. And the remedy, the remedy that John presents in this baptism is humility. Reject your own righteousness by getting in the albeit polluted water to save yourself from the fire of God's judgment. Ever been to the Pestigo Fire Museum north of here? I was traumatized as a kid going to the Pestigo Fire Museum because they would, had painted pictures of people like running for their lives, like bur everything burning up and hot, and people running for their lives and standing in the Peshtigo River for safety. And even then, that was boiling hot. Our own righteousness, friends, believing we are right before God without God is the most offensive thing to God. And people from Jerusalem, God's 
capital city, and everywhere within earshot of John, people are rejecting their own righteousness before God, and they're running to the water for safety. This is a mental preparation for God's coming, a rejecting of our own righteousness. No, we don't have it. We need help. In the Greek Orthodox Church, they mark a rejection of sin ceremonially, ceremonially with water, but it's not water you think of. It's saliva. They love to spit three times in the name of the Trinity. And so I want to encourage you mentally to start spitting in rejecting your righteousness. You have that thought that comes to your mind that you are better than they? Mentally spit. No, not. You're trying to earn your mom or your dad's or your boss's approval or some other mom's praising you as a good parent. No, spit that away. Are you critiquing everyone else for not being quite as up to snuff as you are in your religious routines? Spit that away. Reject your own righteousness and run your way to the river because the fire is coming. And second mindset, second mindset shift, in addition to rejecting our own righteousness, is confessing our wickedness. We see this in verses 6 to 12. What were they doing? What do you see them doing at the end of verse 6 as they're running to the water? They're confessing their sins. They're coming clean with God by coming clean with one another. But one group clearly wasn't. The Pharisees and the Sadducees. The end of their name reveals their wickedness. Pharisee, my righteousness. Sadducee, my righteousness. John rebukes their coming to the baptism because they're coming just to make a showing, to be seen as repentant. He says, who warned you to flee the wrath to come, this fire that's coming? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. What's, what's going on here for John? What's the problem he's having? The Pharisee me and the Sadducee me crowd were coming with no sin coming off of their lips. That's a clear mark and indicator that God has nothing to do with their actions. Because Scripture is clear that God's kindness, a fruit of His Spirit, is what leads us to repentance, leads us to confess our wickedness. John is pulling the curtain on their self-righteousness show so that they can see what's behind it. He points to where they're finding security and being part of the family of Abraham. Because we're part of the people of God, because we're purebloods in the patriarchy, we're good. That's what they're thinking. Because my dad's a pastor because my mom leads Sunday school, because my grandparents serve faithfully, because I'm a Presbyterian or I'm a Pentecostal, I'm good. He says, even now the axe is laid at the root of the tree. Bear fruit by naming not someone else's faith, but every single one of your flaws. Name those. Confession is a mark of God's spirit, not a mark of your disqualification from his kingdom. Confession is a mark of God's Spirit. You see John leading by example in his naming his own standing before a holy, holy, holy God. What does he say? He says, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming, 
I am not worthy to carry his sandals. John is marking himself less like a prodigal son who should be treated as a slave. No, John is saying, I'm even lower than a slave. Slaves' lowest task was to carry their master's manure-chocked Birkenstocks. Okay? And John says, I'm not even qualified to do that. He sees himself accurately and confesses his wickedness in light of who Christ is. It's really ironic and interesting because Jesus later in this gospel would mark John like the prophet Elijah as one with whom there was no one more righteous. That's what Jesus would say about John. Isn't that an irony? Alert, confession of our sin, our inadequacy, our low-lying position in relationship to the king is actually a mark of righteousness. It's a mark of God's love. So I'm asking you this morning, what keeps you from confessing your sin? What makes it hard for you to say you're sorry? Why? Are you hanging on to any traces of believing the lie from that original snake, that original viper, the devil, that your shyster-soaked sandals are cleaner than somebody's, somebody else's? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Confess your sin out loud. There's a freedom. There's an abandon. There's a running to the muddy river without trying to keep yourself clean. You can't. The river's already polluted with your lust and your ego-centered love of self and your laundry list of judgment against others. When you get in the river, just like when you step into any church for the first time, it will not be perfectly clean because you're in it. Bearing this good fruit of confession allows the Lord access to the roots of your tree with the waters of forgiveness that can start to run through its roots rather than the rot of your own self-righteousness, flowing freely with the waters of God's given righteousness. Confess your wickedness, which leads to the third repentance mindset shift. I believe in Jesus' baptism to wash me in His righteousness. I run to Jesus in the river of His righteousness. Lastly, verse 13 to 17. Jesus comes from Galilee. It's interesting, Galilee, because Galilee is a place that the Pharisees and Sadducees would consider a dirty place because it's full of half-breed Jews and unclean Gentiles. That's where Jesus is coming from. This is his first entrance into the gospel as an adult. He comes to the Jordan to be baptized by John. This phrase should raise a flag for you. Why would Jesus, a perfect God in a human body, need to be baptized? He's already clean. It raised a question mark for John, who stops him from getting into the river and says, whoa, 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 whoa. I need to be baptized by you, and you come to me? John's really confused. And Jesus gives him a message that has stumped a lot of people through the ages. He says, let it be so now, for then it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. What has been the theme in the Old Testament, friends, when it comes to water? 
Well, at the end of the story of Noah, God promises that judgment will no longer come through water. And what does he do? God puts a rainbow, an archer's bow in the sky to say what will happen instead. And which way is that bow's or the archer's bow aimed? It's aimed upward. It's aimed toward heaven. And when you think about the Israelites, if you know that story, making their way on dry ground and crossing the Red Sea out of Egypt and even crossing this Jordan River into Israel on dry ground, what is keeping them dry from drowning and what is keeping them safe from being swallowed up in the waters? Something has to be happening here. And what it is, is a sacrifice of righteousness. Jesus the righteous, in his baptism, in his going into the water, the dirty water, ushers in the kingdom of God by being himself marked with the dirty waters of unrighteousness and uncleanness. And as he comes out from the river, what happens? What do you see happen? The heavens open up. And a father speaks and says this. This is my son, my beloved, with whom I'm well pleased, or in whom I take great delight. To the Jewish ear, that phrase, my son, my beloved son, would take them all the way back to Abraham. And the sacrifice of Abraham's son, Isaac, the one who God stopped Abraham mid-slaughter and said, don't kill your son, Abraham. No, don't slay him, your beloved son. I will provide a sacrifice. I will provide the righteous requirement for sin. Jesus' baptism is necessary because he was willing to get into the dirty water, willing to get drowned underneath the weight of your sin so you could walk on dry ground, so you could live. When we think of baptism, we make it so much about ourselves. No, it's a sacrament that marks us as Christ's. It's not a sacrament that marks us as, I'm now serious about my faith, or I'm now getting clean with God. No. Some of that's true, but the baptism is less a sign about you and much more a sign about Jesus in the Jordan. Galatians 3.27 says, For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. He puts on your filth of sin as a necessary requirement for you to be able to wear his white robes of righteous. When you think of your baptism, when you behold any baptism, think as much about the subject of the baptism. It isn't about us. It's about Jesus. We are the object, we are the recipient of his baptism. But the triune God is the subject, the hero in a baptism. God the Father, who had a plan to save the unrighteous by sending his Son, who is willing to take the plunge into sin and death. And God the Spirit, who as he rested on Jesus, was the powerful force in making salvation of sinners possible. 
Jesus' commission at the end of Matthew is to make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, all who are actively present in Matthew chapter 3. So that Jesus' plunge is your plunge. His coming out clean and pleasing to the Father, you come out clean and pleasing to the Father. Repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, John preaches and Jesus preaches. Because the king of judgment has come to bring justice on earth. That's what everyone was afraid of. That's why they were running to the river. And behold, how he brings his work of righting every wrong and bringing justice to all humanity. What does he do? He has justice served on himself in order that anyone who would believe in him could be forgiven, could be cleansed could be raised up from the judgment waters alive again. I'm loving the ad campaign, Jesus Gets Us. Saw it in the Super Bowl. And I think it is a fitting phrase to put under this portrait of Christ's baptism. As Jesus gets dirty in the Jordan, Jesus gets us. He gets us. He gets our dirt. He gets our filth. He gets our unrighteousness. But there needs to be an ellipsis on that. Dot, dot, dot. And we get him. And we get him. I didn't give you a ten steps to a better repentance. Because, friends, I don't believe you can change you. I only believe what can change you is the spirit of Christ being the river that flows within you. We'll close with this. I have based a lot, and I mean a lot, of my righteousness on my performance. I was a musician growing up. It's hard when you're a musician because you are basing a lot on your performance and how you're doing and not making mistakes and all that stuff. You should play on the piano, okay? But a lot of my righteousness is based on a performance. Musician, then a student then a counselor, then a pastor. And friends, I've told you this before, but planting all saints, all of that righteousness that I rested in came to a faith-rocking place in planting this church. I remember waking up, and Bliss remembers me, waking up at 2 in the morning every night in sweat. I didn't know there were certain places in your body that could sweat. <laughs> like, and I have pools of water on my neck or my belly and my chest. I'm like, ah, I'm just sweating all over the place. But that sweat would come because of fear. The baptismal waters of my own righteousness would just drown me with anxiety. It was usually something, I'd wake up in just that quick moment, something insignificant uh, th some insignificant thing the enemy would use in my pastoral performance of what I had left undone. And I would just dread and panic. It's just a mark on my ginormous unrighteousness. And oh, ugh, I just felt awful. Ugh. And oh, would I pray after I tell myself off. 
I would pray, I'm not the Christ. I can't do this. Jesus, you are the Christ. I'd put my hands up. I remember so many times, hand on the headboard or hand out open. I'd just lay there and say, be Jesus what I am not, what I so lack as a husband, a father, a pastor, a friend. Jesus, you be what I am not. Be my righteousness. Baptize me not with these sweaty waters of my own righteousness, but baptize me in the river of Christ's forgiveness. I need your righteousness. It can't be dependent upon me. That was almost a nightly routine for a year at least. And about a week ago, it happened again. The 2 a.m. neck sweats. And as I woke up, I, I praised God. I was like, oh, it's been a long time. This hasn't happened in a long time. At least it's been a year or two, if not more. My rejecting my own righteousness, my confessing my sin, my believing his righteousness, not my own, can wash me clean. And just reminded me, oh, Lord, you have done a work of repentance in me. And as God's humor would have it, as I'm experiencing the sweat of that moment, I looked at my nightstand to have my mind changed. I actually wasn't in a panic. Our heated mattress pad had been turned to medium high. That's why I was sweating. And I just praised God for the work of his spirits and not my efforts that he had done over the course of the past several years. Friends, that's repentance. That's the change of mind. And it is a daily practice, a daily changing of our mind. Repentance comes in a way least expected. Repentance comes in the Lord changing our mind to believe that Christ alone is our righteousness. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we all have a long way to go. You are doing a work in us that is marvelous. And you are so patient with us. And thank you for this time to focus in on repentance and helping us to remember, Lord, that you are the one to be able to change our mind. Father, as your fires of judgment come, may we reject and strip away anything that would say, we stand before you, God, because we've been a good person. We've been better than most. Look at our track record. Spit that away, Lord. It's not going to help us at all to stand before your presence. Instead, help us to be a people who confess our sin and our need for Christ. And help us to be a people who run into the river of his righteousness and find all of our dirt, all of our foulness and all of our sin washed away in the river of his righteousness. Let it be said of us as it's said of Christ, this is my child with whom I am well pleased because of the work and the baptism of Jesus Christ. We pray this in his name. Amen.